0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are continuing our sermon series, Two Words. It's a study in the book of Galatians. We are, we are t- working week by week through the book of Galatians and looking at the, the distinctions that the Apostle Paul makes in the way that God speaks to us. See, all of Scripture can be divided up into two words, law and gospel. And these two words work in partnership with one another to bring us and point us to the gifts that Jesus has for us, to point us to the person, the work, the promise of Jesus. And while these two words work in partnership with one another, what we find is that each word functions in a very different way. The law, on one hand, exposes us. Though the law exposes us to our sin. It points us to our, our failures, to our need for a Savior. It's the gospel, on the other hand, though, that exposes our Savior. It's the gospel that points us to Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the gospel that points us to the promise That while the law exposes our sin, it's the gospel that exposes the Savior. And so these two words, law and gospel, are routinely forgotten, confused, and misapplied. And it's the misapplication of these words that often creates a Christianity that cares more about good behavior than good news. And so today we're going to continue in the book of Galatians diving into the Apostle Paul's letter to a group of recovering Pharisees. And so Paul writes these words to provide a corrective because they've drifted away from the promise of Jesus into a relationship with God that is based on their rule following. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 3. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, we will be on page 1812. Now, throughout this series, we we began in Galatians chapter 1. And so in Galatians chapter 1, Paul introduced this letter um, with with this phrase, grace and peace to you. And so what we found in the very beginning of Galatians is Paul set the tone for the entire book. He he set the tone for for all that would follow and that the whole thing was after the end goal of giving to us a grace that forgives every sin and a peace that quiets our conscience. And so Paul then continued by talking about the promise of Jesus, that there is no other gospel. And so while the world might want to present other things as good news, Jesus gives what no other gospel could give. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tony took us into Galatians chapter 2. And so he highlighted for us in Galatians 2 a conflict between Peter and Paul. And what we found in that conflict is that God's two words, law and gospel exposed their sin, but also reminded them that they are saints before God. And so there was this dynamic of God's word speaking to us both as sinners and saints at the t- same time. And that was highlighted in this conflict between Peter and Paul. And so in Galatians chapter 3 then, we continue in, in Paul's discussion, in Paul's correction to them. And we, he begins, to, and he begins to, to, to speak to them confused by their own foolishness. They're drifting away from what he had once taught them. See, there's something alluring about a ladder. See, many of us have become accustomed to, to thinking about the, the world in terms of a ladder. And we're familiar with this language. It's the way, it's the, it's the, way the business world works. It's the way um, schooling often works. It's the way athletics work. Um, that, that A ladder means, uh, in, in our, the systems of this world, is that the better you perform, the higher you climb. Right? So we're familiar with that in the workplace. It's climbing the ladder. The more you do, the better you do, the better you perform, the, the higher you climb, and the higher you climb, the more you get. And so if you want more from your job, you work harder, you do more, you get better at it, and, you, and then there, then the higher you climb, the, the better the rewards. You, you get more benefits, you get more pay, you get more accolades, you get more recognition. And so the more you work, the more you do, the better you perform. The same thing when it goes to our schooling, when the same thing when it goes to athletics. And so much of our world is based around this kind of system. A system of rewards and punishment, be, be, performance, and then rewards for that. That performance. And so this is a very natural way for us to think about much of the world. That the more we do, the better, the better we get, the more we get. The, the, the more we perform, the more we receive. Now the difficulty with this is what many people then do is we transport this way of thinking into our relationship with God. Now, this is, this is a natural thing to do because, because the ladder-based idea is so ingrained in how we think about the world. This, this is just second nature to us. And so we, we bring this into our relationship with God and we naturally begin to think, all right, the more I do, the higher I climb and the more I get from God, the better I perform, the more God will be pleased with me, the more God will bless me, the more God will have for me. And so we begin to think about our relationship with God in terms of, of the letter now, now, most of us would, wouldn't ever dare say that that when we when we bring this we that we bring this way of thinking into our relationship with God. Most of us wouldn't say I'm trying to earn my salvation from God. So, so we understand that category is off limits. But when we live our lives, what we practically do is we'll say, "All right, I, I'm good with grace to be be here," right? And so God, God gives me His salvation. But then what we do is there are other things that are higher up the ladder. And so we create these self-salvation projects, which are just areas of our life where we are trying to earn what only God can give to us. And so, and so we'll, we'll say, all right, heaven, I, I, I can't earn that, but my worth, my value, my identity, my security, whether or not God is pleased with me, we'll put that up here. And so our ability to perform determines whether or not we get those things. See, the idea then we we begin to create is that God has something else for us up here, and so we need to climb up higher and work harder in order to achieve those things. And so, so what we do is we rely on our obedience to climb the ladder of spirituality, And so it's up to us to perform. Do we we pray enough? Do we obey enough? Do Do we have the right devotional life? Do we have the right dedication? Did we pray the right prayers? And so the more we do, then the higher we climb the ladder. And so the closer and closer we can get to God up here, the more he will give his blessings to us, the happier he will be with us. See, the problem is while this might be good motivation for the workplace and it might be a good motivation to, to get you to work harder in your job, it's a bad system for your relationship with God. See, because what the latter will teach us, it will inevitably teach us a number of things that completely run counter to the message of Jesus. See, see what the latter will teach us is it will teach us that all right, grace is just the bottom rung. And so we'll believe we get here. And then what the ladder will teach us is that we are to rely on our own ability to move higher and higher up the ladder. And so we'll give God credit for something, but we want credit for the rest. And so it's up to us then to move higher and higher up the ladder. And so what we begin to do is we look down at our feet and we trust in how high we were able to climb. Or the ladder will teach us that God is nothing more than a step along the way. And so maybe for you, you're not trying to earn God's favor or an identity from God by climbing the ladder, but maybe what you have done is you've made Jesus a step on the ladder and you've put another God up on top of the ladder. And so Jesus is just a step on the way for you to climb to the things that you want, for you to climb to your own worth, your own identity, your own value. And so what the ladder then teaches you is that Jesus is just a step. And so once you pass that step, you can move on. Or, if you're like me, what the ladder will teach you, and what the ladder will do to you, is you'll find yourself stuck at the bottom. Because you know where you want to be, and you know where you should be, and you're never there. Because you can never climb high enough. You can never do quite what you want to do. See, the ladder always leaves us at the bottom rung. And so when the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church of Galatians, he is writing because of this problem. Because the church of Galatia had turned their relationship with a gracious God into a ladder-based relationship. They have begun to think about their relationship with God in a system of a ladder, in a system where they rely on their own performance, the rituals, the rules, the good behavior is what ultimately determines where they stand with God. And so grace is the entry point, so that they're good with the whole grace thing, but only for a small portion of their relationship with God. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, in response to this, he says, You foolish Galatians... Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul, Paul can't believe it. Like, like who fooled you? See, he was there. He was with them. And and he says, all right, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul's Paul's saying to them, all right, it's not like I just dropped a dud of a sermon and I wasn't very clear, and so you completely missed the point. Paul's saying, all right, no, no, I was very clear, and and you clung to that promise. Jesus Christ, him crucified, the work of God outside of your own efforts for you the death and resurrection of Jesus, on your behalf. And so Paul's saying, I lifted that up. I raised that up. This was publicly proclaimed. This was portrayed to you over and over and over again. And so he's saying, what, what happened? How could you be so foolish? Who has bewitched you? It's this language that says, like, what, what spell was cast over you that brought you back to this instead of the cross? It's because the Galatians have turned their life with God into a ladder. Now, what's interesting about the ladder is because of the way our world works, the ladder is comfortable for us. In fact, the ladder is why the cross is so offensive to so many of us. Because we want something to do with where we stand with God. We want something to do with our salvation or our identity or our worth. We want something to do with it. So the idea that the ladder doesn't work offends everything within us. It offends the logic that we have because what it says is that you are far worse than you thought because you couldn't even make it past the first row. And God's grace is even greater than you could have even imagined. That offends the person who's made the ladder the way they understand the world. And so what the Galatians do, the Galatians are stuck on the ladder. And what they do is they, they believe that Jesus got them on the ladder. But Moses helps them climb the ladder. So, so, so they believe that that grace, by, by, that you're saved by grace through faith. That, that gets you right here. But obedience to the law is what gets them higher and higher. Grace gets them on the first rung. But good behaviors and commitment, the dietary laws, the religious zeal, that's what helps them climb higher and higher. They believe that grace gets them on the first rung, but their obedience gets them closer and closer to the gifts of Jesus. And so they begin to create this system, this system of obedience and behavior, this system where they climb higher and higher in order to get more from God. And this system is completely counter to the message of Jesus because God isn't holding back from you in a way that you need to climb higher to get more from God. No, God And his death and his resurrection gives all of himself to you. He's not holding back. And so the Apostle Paul wants to knock the Galatians off the ladder. And so he does this with a series of questions in in verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. He says, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, in these questions, Paul provides a corrective, to a ladder-based relationship with God. He has a series of questions. That, that, that I, I'd say there are kind of four themes within these questions, questions that will knock you and I off the ladder. See, the moment that you and I trust in our own obedience and our own abilities to do more, to climb higher, these questions will be the corrective that, that, that lead us to, to repent even for our obedience. Obedience that the scriptures would call filthy rags. Because the moment our obedience is about performing in order to please God, in order to to stand right before God, is the moment that our obedience has the wrong aim. We don't obey in order to. We obey because of. So Paul asks these series of questions. His first question is a question of entry. He says, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Now, the, these questions are, are rhetorical questions because Paul knows how they're going to answer. He knows what they're thinking. He's, he's been around them enough that he knows they intellectually know the right answers. But they have very practically in their daily lives abandoned what they intellectually knew to be true. And so Paul, with these rhetorical questions, is is leading them to discover that they've put their hope in the wrong place. And so he says, did you receive the Spirit by works? He's asking, did you become a part of the family of the grace of God through faith or by your own efforts? Did you become a Christian because you worked really hard at it? Or because God was working really hard for you? Did you become a Christian because you experienced the right level of remorse? Because you prayed the right prayer, spent the right amount of time doing devotions? Or did you become a Christian because grace was given for you? See, grace is always one-sided. We have nothing to do with it. The only thing that we have to offer is the sin that made grace necessary. And so then Paul then, he goes on. He's going to move on there, and the reason he, he, really, he needs to do that is because the Galatians, they, they can still take that and say, all right, well, that gets me here. That gets me into the family, but if I really want to, to progress, then I need to do the rest. And so Paul asks another question. He, said, he asks a question about growth. And so he says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He says, are you being perfected by works? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Are you growing in your relationship with God because of your own effort, because of your own behavior? In other words, if you became a Christian by the work of God, is the work of God relegated to just the entry point, or does he have something to do with your growth too? When you look at your own life, when you, as a Christian, you, you will experience life change. You will experience changes in your life. Because, because of the gospel, because of God at work in your heart, you will experience changes. There will be changes in attitudes, changes in conversations, in decisions, in behaviors. And, and so what Paul is doing, he's asking a question. He's pointing to those life changes and saying, when you look at those changes... Is it because you were working hard or because God was working hard? Is it because of your efforts or because the Holy Spirit was active doing something in you? See, grace is not the mere entry into the faith. It's also what grows the faith. in, In the moments where we find ourselves struggling to grow, the problem isn't that we've experienced too much grace. It's it's Most likely because we've experienced it too little. Because it's grace that grows us. And so the more and more we are acutely aware of the problem of sin, the greater and greater our awe is of the grace of God. And that grace is what changes us. That grace is what grows us. Paul then continues and he asks a question of suffering. He says, is your suffering all in vain? See, what Paul knows is as everybody in life experiences some kind of suffering, and so whether it's the early church kind of suffering, where they are suffering because of their faith, where it's a persecution for their faith, or it's the everyday kind of suffering, a suffering that comes in sickness, in loss, in broken relationships, Paul understands that suffering brings us to the end of ourselves. See, what suffering has a tendency to do, especially in a world that thrives in independence. Suffering makes us realize that we are dependent on something, someone much bigger than ourselves. And so Paul is asking a question about about those moments of suffering. When you are at the end of your rope, when you have nothing left, when you don't know how you are going to make it through... Is that what you are putting your hope in, the gospel, the promise of Jesus, is it all vanity? For the early church who, who, who are often persecuted because of their own faith. Is that which they are taking a stand for, and that which actually empowers them to make a stand. Is it all a waste? See, what the Apostle Paul understands about grace is that the people who, who, who survive and endure suffering aren't doing it because they're really strong. They're not doing it because of their level of commitment. They're doing it because God's grace has done something in them. That It's the work of Jesus that allows them to endure those moments. Even, even the moments where we experience the pain and suffering of loss, of tragedy, See, many of you have experienced those moments, and you understand what it's like to to, to know and say, "I, I don't know how I could survive that if I wasn't a Christian. I don't know how I could make it through those moments if I didn't have God. Because in the midst of suffering, what we rely on is not on our ability to handle that situation. It's not our ability to be strong in those moments. It's that we rely... On a God who is strong for us. And it's grace that sustains us in those moments. And so again, by that question, what Paul is doing is he's correcting the way of thinking. Because all right, if grace now is not just the entry point, but it's also what grows us. But it's not only what grows us, it's also what empowers and sustains us in the face of the worst kinds of suffering. And then he moves on and asks a question about miracles. And he does this because, one, the fact that they have faith in and of itself is, is miraculous. The fact that God gave to them faith is, is a miracle. And within the early church, there are, there are all these experiences, and especially within the New Testament, when we read the stories of the life of Jesus, you experience all these miracles. And so Paul is asking a question about the miraculous. Is, do those miracles happen within a system of rewards or of gifts? The fact that they believe, is it a reward because of their good behavior? The Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, does he believe and is he now starting this church because he changed from his murderous ways or did he change from his murderous ways because of the grace that was given to him, the faith that was created? When you and I have faith, do we have that faith as a reward for our good behavior Or is it a gift? In the Scriptures, when we see the miraculous, when we see Jesus give sight to the blind, when we see him raise the dead, is it a reward for people's good behavior? Or is it a gift? A gift that testifies to the miracle of all miracles. The miracle that in the death and resurrection, Jesus gives what we can't do for ourselves. See, Paul knocks them off the ladder by proclaiming Jesus Christ because the ladder-based spirituality doesn't work. The Christian life is about grace from start to finish. Grace isn't just the beginning. It's the middle it's the end. Grace is what brings us into the family. Grace is what grows us. Grace is what empowers and sustains us. Grace is what completes us. See, see the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not just what is for the outsiders. It's not just what the non-Christians need. The Christians need it too because grace intersects every area of our life. We need it every moment of every day. And so when the Galatians miss this and begin to try to climb the ladder, Paul knows he needs to do something about it. When they try to add their rituals and behavior, when they try to add the dietary laws, he knows he needs to do something. Because they've begun believing that, that they can grow based on their effort. That even, that even in the suffering, that, that their endurance in the suffering is what moves them closer and closer to God. Their ability to climb higher and higher gets them closer and closer to God. Gets them more from God. And that makes sense in a performance-based culture. But Jesus offers something better in a world full of performance-based religion, Jesus offers a better alternative. See, Jesus isn't waiting for us to climb the ladder. Jesus climbs down the ladder. The Son of God descends from the throne, taking on human flesh to live to suffer, to die. Jesus climbs down the ladder into your sin, into your suffering, and he climbs down right into the middle of it. See, God's not waiting for you to get through it. He meets you in the midst of it. This is why the Apostle Paul then writes these words in verse 10. He says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. All who rely on the latter are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, cursed is everyone who lives by the latter because if you do, you will never do enough. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the ladder because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ rescued us by climbing down the ladder for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So when you and I are cursed because we find ourselves stuck, Jesus climbs down. When you find yourself frustrated that God is always angry, that God isn't pleased with you, Jesus climbs down the ladder. When you doubt whether or not you can reach the gifts of God, Jesus climbs down. When you're worried that grace is not enough, Jesus isn't waiting for you to get it together. He climbs down the ladder. He climbs down from the heavens and takes on human flesh for you. This is why John records the birth of Jesus by saying, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God took on human flesh. He climbed down the ladder and lived among us. He climbed down into your sin, into your doubts and discouragement, into your suffering and pain. He climbs down to meet you there. Even in the moments where you have run far from God, what we find is we have a ladder-descending God who doesn't wait for you to get on the ladder. He comes down in order to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is all the story of a ladder-descending God. A God who becomes one of us. Who descends the ladder to eat, to drink, to laugh and to cry. Who descends the ladder to hurt, to suffer, to give up everything. So that he can give you everything. Jesus gives all of himself to you. He's not holding something back for when you climb higher. He gives all the grace, all of His forgiveness, all of His mercy to you right now. See, God is not standing at the top of the ladder shouting at you to climb higher, He's at the bottom. And He says to you, Come. To me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. God's not at the top angry with you, He's at the bottom. He says, It is finished. That's grace. It's a grace that brings us into the family, it's the grace that grows us, it's the grace that empowers and sustains us through the worst of suffering. It's God's free gift for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being a ladder-descending God, a God who comes down to meet us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our our suffering. We thank you that you that, that you don't wait for us to get rid of our sin, that you don't wait for us to make it through the suffering, but you climb down right where we are and you give all of yourself to us, that you pour out your love and your mercy on us and promise to us that you give everything so that we might have everything.